How do we create more sustainable businesses and a sustainable world? With listeners in 53 countries over six continents, Sustainable the Podcast aims to explore exactly that. Join our host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, as she interviews inspirational leaders who are helping to reconnect business back to nature. Discover new ways of working. Be inspired to take action. In episode 73, I spoke to Phillips Cox Hind, co-founder of consultancy business Harley Young. Philip is a seasoned business consultant, author and mindfulness expert who specialises in combining hard-nosed business thinking with key concepts in mindfulness in order to drive positive change within organisations. Today, I'm speaking to Andres Roberts. Andres is a guide, facilitator and advisor dedicated to new kinds of progress, fit for a positive future for all. His work combines renewed ideas about leadership and change, reconnection to nature and the wisdom of ancient cultures to help more positive and more systemic change happen. Andres has gone deep into his own journey reconnecting with nature and traditional wisdom. Bringing 15 years of experience in learning and change, he has studied with amazing teachers and elders from across the world, making these lessons more accessible for the modern world. Andres is co-founder of Way of Nature UK and founding partner of the Bioleadership Project, a project that helps people address 21st century challenges by working more closely in partnership with nature. Welcome, Andres. It's great to have you on Sustainable today. It's really nice to be here. Thanks, Tabby. So let's dive in and get straight to the first question, Andres. What do you believe is the purpose of business? <laughs> well, I, 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 let's start with the easy ones, huh? Um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, thinking about it, if you it might be good to sort of go back to what, what is it at a functional basic level? You know, what is business? And I, I think business is um, about organizing people and resources to meet specific ends. It's in, in, in that sense, we can say it's a, it's a social technology. It's a human invention. Um, and the current form of that invention, <clears throat> I would say, is probably 120, 150 years old. It's been evolving for, for that long. The, the, the question is, what, what do we point that technology towards? You know, what, what dial do we set on that invention? And I would argue that the dominant form of business today, therefore the purpose of much of that business, is to maximize profit and to maximize shareholder returns. Um, what I'd also add is that lots and lots of small machines around the world have sort of coalesced together so that there is a bigger global machine that operates towards that same purpose. Um, so much so that we might not have a lot of control over what that bigger machine does, but it's still only a social invention. It's still a, a social technology and we can still choose if we're careful and mindful and somehow creative to change the dial on that machine. That would be my start point. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great starting point. And what I love about what you've used is bringing in the concept of technology, because we're all really, really familiar with the idea of how technology works. And 
it makes it a lot easier for us to remove almost like the, the human emotion and attachment to what's going on and say this is actually just a technology. We lear- need to learn how to press the buttons better to actually get a different technology because from, from the understanding of what you've said there, business has a current purpose of maximising profits and shareholders and that organization of people and resources into businesses has created a bigger machine and we need to look at what is the setting on that bigger machine and what is that purpose exactly well, and, and you know i'm using the words machine and technology very deliberately because i think one one of the one aspect of contemporary business is that we have fallen into a worldview of seeing it as a machine um, so it's a bit provocative as well. I mean, at one, at one level, it's 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 helpful. It's it's saying, okay, well, let's think about this as a technology, as a form of engineering. How do we shift it? But I think also we should try and challenge it to say, hmm, is it is it as functional and transactional as just a machine, or can we begin to ask bigger questions around how does it work as a as a wider living system? Um, and that disconnect between machine and living system is at the heart of what the purpose of modern business is or, 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 or might become. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. So what you're really talking about is a fundamental shift moving away from viewing business as a machine, but actually saying, well, if it was a living system, how would it function and what would be the purpose? And how do we align that, obviously, with nature? Because that's a key part of what you do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think w- w- one of the... So, so you know, let's, let's give it some credit, um, if, it, if we go back to business being about organizing people and resources, it has been incredibly efficient at doing what it's set out to do, you know, um, and that has helped us do lots of good things. You know, it has helped us move food around the world. It has helped us generate income for health and other good things. It's, it's equipped a lot of people with what they need to live whole, uh, healthy, um, uh, safe lives, right? <clears throat> but within it, if we think about it as a technology with a very linear siloed purpose, um, i.e. profit and maximization, that is to the exclusion of other aims, um, and when it becomes a global system, when it's the whole of the world that's operating towards that single purpose of maximization, and, and I know I'm making it simple, I know it's much more complex than that, um, then um, it's to the detriment of wider measures of health and well-being and human and more than human progress. So what I'm challenging is the idea that, wow, right, okay, well, we the sole purpose of profit maximization and progress is good and suggesting that we need to bring other measures of progress into that mix. Yeah. No, I think I think that's really great. And I mean, you're talking about progress there. So how would are we de- currently defining in business progress as maximizing profits and shareholders? I just want to make sure that I've understood that correctly. And if so, why do we need to redefine that definition? Well, just, I mean, generally, what, where, where I come from with this is um, if you were to look at, an, at a healthy natural system, you know, call it a, a, a beautiful forest or, or, or our planet, you know, it, it operates through a principle of optimization of all of those parts, you know, and you can look into it. And there's a lot of research that's gone into how, how, do I, how does a healthy system operate? Well, Optimization of all of the parts is that they somehow they somehow contain themselves. They keep a certain shape. They are in relationship with other parts of that system, and they keep themselves in a healthy shape. So they don't exceed their size, and they stay in balance. They're at the right size. 
wherever a natural system operates through principles of maximization, that is, one part tries to exceed size and um, outgrow and even uh, consume the whole, that becomes to the detriment of the whole system. Mm. Um, so in a world in which we define progress through measures such as um, profit, or this isn't just about business for me, you know, it's about social, wider social systems. So for example, GDP, um, those measures are like dials on our kind of human dashboard and we're always pointing towards greater profit, greater production, greater consumption, more, 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 more. Those are all aims that essentially are very closely bound to ideas of maximization. Mm -hmm. um, so the kind of thinking um, experimental question that I practice with is, is, well, actually, what are the qualities of a healthy system, those qualities of optimization and more? And how could we shift the dial if, if we have a, um, you know, this human progress vehicle that we're sort of navigating in on this planet? And, and that is part of a wider web of life, which is what I would say. But, but you know, what, what are the dials that we would add to that dashboard to help us keep the whole system in an optimized state rather than a very... Um, single-minded but dangerous uh, state of maximization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I really like what you've done there. And I mean, what I've written down there is literally maximization versus optimization. And maximization mm -hmm. has a potentially, you know, it, from what you're saying is it, it sounds inherently destructive. Its whole pro, pro, or the whole objective is to get as much out of it as possible before the ending. Whereas what you're saying with optimization is how do we make sure that everything stays in balance so it stays healthy, so it stays organized, so that we're getting the, the best out of it rather than the most. Exactly. And the best for all of the different parts, because the, the parts are in the healthy balance in order to sustain themselves as a whole. And I'm not, you know, I'm not naive about this. I'm not sentimental about nature. I am, um, um, you know, nature is incredibly violent and, com and very, very competitive. You only have to look at any of sort of David Attenborough type films to see these sort of terrifying chases and kills and so mm -hmm. on and so on. However, those and those elements of a natural system um, somehow are doing that in order for the whole of that, their eco ecosystem to stay healthy. Um, uh, and, and we really don't do that as people. We have a strange idea of competition, which is about um, taking over the whole, you know, winning and beating everything else, rather than um, somehow having that healthy competition to keep all of the parts of the system alive. Mm. And I, I mean, I think it's really fascinating because even if you're talking about like David Attenborough programs and some of the stuff that I found fascinating watching nature based programs is that you see that competitive side. But then there's also the stories that if, say, for example, a lion isn't hungry, it's not going to chase. It's going to leave the prey alone. And there was this one beautiful story as well um, about literally a, a lioness was actually protect, protecting like a baby buffalo and just the way that it came about. And for me, it's like those examples are what you're kind of like talking about there in terms of maximisation versus optimization. If it's hungry and it's necessary to keep the system in balance, the lion is actually going to attack the prey. But 
if there's no need for it and there's no need for that balance at that precise moment, then it's not going to happen. Something different is going to happen rather than the, you know, let's beat everybody and uh, compete and win at all costs. Exactly. Exactly. There's a really wonderful um, image from one of the pl- the first Planet Earth series of um, it's called Cordyceps. This this fungi and and what it does is um, I think it's fungi, but it, it kind of um, finds an ant and um, burrows itself into an ant and then it, se- it sends the ant crazy. Oh, I've seen these. Oh, they're so cool. And it's like an alien of, film, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty scary. But that's the way. So, so just to finish that story, so so this thing, the ant goes crazy. It climbs the, a, a blade of grass or it goes up some bark on the edge of its colony, mm-hmm. and, and then and then this mushroom sprouts from the dead body and um, blows new spores all around. So, but that's the only that's the only organism that would kill that that particular kind of ant in that way. What does that do? It keeps the ant colony at a healthy size for that ecosystem. And nature has hundreds and thousands of of little sorts of keys and controls and measures and balances to keep that whole system in check. The other story that comes to mind is um, George Monbiot's uh, lovely TED talk about how wolves changed the course of rivers. Yes. Yellowstone Park, which I won't go through the whole story here, but it's, you know, definitely worth watching. And it shows how, the introduction of a predator in a healthy system rebalances that system so that many other parts of that system become healthier. Um, it's an interesting question for people because you could say, well, over the last you know couple of thousand years, we found ourselves at the top of the food chain. So how do we decide to keep the system healthy? Um, yeah. Lots of, lots of questions there. And I mean, I'm I'm taking that this is kind of like the stuff that you talk about when you work with people on bioleadership. So, I mean, what exactly is bioleadership and why do we need it in today's world? Sure. Well, well bioleadership starts off with this place of, um, you know, what we've been saying. Human systems are out of kilter with the wider systems that we're part of. Mm-hmm. It goes For me, it goes beyond sustainability as a transactional topical thing. It just says, look... You know, we have the awareness of being part of a planet and a global system. And what we're doing as human systems at the moment are just out of sync with, call it air, call it um, natural resources, call it chemical cycles. We're going at a rate that is um, out of sync with what we have available to us. Um, it's destructive. So, so bioleadership is about saying, how can we develop new forms of leadership, new forms of innovation that are about realigning and working with nature as partner and guide in how we re-stabilize or we realign our human systems? Um, and it has different levels of depth, really. Some of it is some of it is um, a practical, tangible, i.e okay, let's have a look at how a principle of optimization works and how can we bring that into a healthy system, a human system. But it, it also has a deeper aspect to it, which comes from my work with Way of Nature, which is about going deep into nature and observing and being <clears throat> and noticing uh, qualities like connection and resilience and adaptation. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, it's about saying, well, let, let, can we go back to a place not in a naive way, but can we go back to a place of exploring a mindset of being part of nature um, and and then operating in a more sophisticated human way? You know, then 
harvesting a different quality of creativity and innovation that is human development as part of nature, as part of these wider systems, um, not as separate to and controlling and manipulating, but working in harmony and, and, and symbiosis. Um, so, so that's they're kind of the themes and the, and the tools that we play with with bio leadership, and, and the, the reason why is well, you know, we've just hit a time where we're so out of sync that we need to find these new forms of doing things, and the, and the status quo of leadership and innovation is not fit for purpose for tackling some of the challenges and the questions that we're working with in, in our times. Yeah, and what, what what I love listening to you as well, and it'll be curious to to, to see if the the, the listeners um, also get this as well. I find it really interesting your choice of language, you know, because you're using out of sync, sophisticated, fit for purpose, and. What I really, really love listening to you, Andres, is that there's none of this guilt, shame or judgment that we're doing something wrong. It's just, here's actually the facts. We're out of sync. How do we change it about? And removing a lot of that negative emotions that seem to be attached with it. And it, it kind of sounds quite positive and exciting and cool how you're talking about it. Mm, yeah, and alongside that is, you know, all of the wishy-washy, spiritual, woo-woo, our connection to nature, part of something bigger. It, it, I'm kind of at a place of, um, I, I, you know, if we take it from a basic engineering perspective, we are out of sync. And and if we take it from a sort of um, a sense of identity, we are really struggling with um, seeing ourselves as different to, or, or rather it's more kind of, it's kind of quite empowering to say we're part of this natural system. Um, mm-hmm. um it, it's, just, it's just a sort of very solid, real place to stand. And we can choose to be really creative. We can choose to do things in a much more um, innovative manner. And, and it's one of the kind of exciting stories that we might be weaving in the world today. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to hear you play that back. We, we've, we've, we've done a lot, I think, starting with Way of Nature and now the bio-leadership to explore the language and the frame of this and one of the things that i'm enjoying most is just making it sound as real as it is because starting with you know with way of nature what we do is we put um, people out on what we call nature quests so where you sit alone in the wilderness for 24 hours or so and and there we don't package that up we don't brand it we don't call it anything we don't Mm -hmm. label it it's just when you're by yourself sitting in the wild noticing how nature works and noticing whatever it is that comes up inside of you, whether it's a thought or a feeling or a way of sensing the world, that's just brutally honest. That's just real. And we're not trying to kind of give it bells and whistles. We're not trying to brand it or package it up in a world that's so horrifically overproduced in my eyes that, you know, everybody's dying for just a bit of honesty and meaning. And, and so hopefully, hopefully this all comes from that place of, let's just call it what it is and let's just be real. Um, And we're just humans and we're just part of other living systems and we're out of kilter. So let's try and do something good about it. Yeah. And I I, I love it because it's it's, it's so much more practical and a grounded your approach, which is very much how we work with nature connection as well. It's it's, it's a skill, it's practical, it's tangible. Let's, you know, make it about common sense for me, really, rather than anything else. And it's, it's, it's practical. Yeah practical and real for me for me that's a big part of it because oh, otherwise we're just alienating you know people i think one of the things that i've experienced in the world 
you know, all of the politics of 2016, and we still see it in so many ways, uh, uh, were around division and separation and and um, uh, uh, duality and uh, and um, if you strip it back to we're just human living organisms that are part of wider webs of life it's just it's just very real it's just very very real um what but the flip i've got to say that uh, kind of alongside that um i am quite enjoying kind of calling out the sort of the how ridiculous it is you know this idea of perpetual growth or um ideas of um the assumption that we can continuously just keep mining and harvesting it's it's actually one definition of, of, of ridiculous. <laughs> so I think it's quite exciting that we're also at a, at a time of being able to call those things out. But this dominant paradigm, the way that we've been doing things for so long, it, it's starting to look really silly. Um, um, people feel it. You know, and, and we're all part of those same systems, you know, in some form or another. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't, I'm not kind of, I don't want to point fingers at anything or anybody saying, Wow, that's the sort of stupid part of society or, or business because we're all we're all part of those systems. But collectively, I think we can start to look at those things and ways of working and being and go, that's just really outdated. Um, I just finished uh, Annie Pruls, who wrote um, uh, Shipping News, I think, and an amazing, amazing writer. And she wrote the short story that became Brokeback Mountain. She's written a book called Bark Skins. Okay. It's four hundred. It's, it's a story over four hundred years, and it goes right back to two characters arriving in what is called New France and seeing this vast forest and um, uncontrollably big forest. You know, the unfathomably big forest, and and all these cultures, like native cultures. And she tells the most incredible story of how, from that tiny moment of landing in what we now call Canada. Um, and seeing these new cultures, it, we've eroded it all, um, and uh, and we have that in our conscious. We have, we we consciousness, sorry, that we we know that this is the destruction that we has created in in only four hundred years. So we can now say, wow, that's a lot of destruction. We should try and do things differently, and just be honest about it. Just mm. be real about it. Yeah. And I, I, I like that because, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that the whole point of, of, of learning from nature is just simply to recognise that we're part of this system and figuring out new ways of working with it so that we're not so destructive. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. then what advice would you give to a leader in an organisation or somebody who has their own business who they are looking to reconnect their business to nature but really don't know where to start? I mean, what, what advice would you give them? Um, well, one, one thing I, you know, I, in the, in the leadership work that I do, and, and I, I don't like the word leadership necessarily, but, but, you know, keeping with, with the question of leaders and leadership, most people who are doing good work, who have developed or who lead something in, well, everybody really, um, is interested in doing things better. You know, we're, we're interested in progress. We're interested in growth. We're interested in, in, in humanity, in our work and beyond. So, so a start point for me is about asking big questions. You know, like ask. Let's really ask how has the modern way of getting here brought us here. I think that's. I think that's big. You know, let's let's be curious. Let's be really curious. Is a start point, and I think let's spend time looking 
are those systems that are sustainable, that are healthy, that are wholesome? And let's be curious about how they operate. Um, and let's then have conversations with each other in groups, in, you know, whether that's entrepreneurs, whether it's big companies, whether it's governments or social innovators. Let's have different kinds of conversations about what those qualities are and let's make it feel like it's valuable and and i think just beginning with that curiosity and those questions goes a long way alongside that with the bioleadership project we're now starting to gather more and more stories of organizations that are doing really good things in the world um not in a soft not in a woo woo way but putting nature at the heart of their purpose or being inspired by how nature works and um and I'm pretty sure that we'll see more and more examples of that. So something about connecting those stories is a big part of it as well. Mm, yeah, and I, I really like what you you say there. You know about finding the the practical companies that are doing this in a, in, in in a tangible, real way. You know, not as you're saying in a softer woo woo way. You know, and it always amazes me when you get like the real examples. Like one of the ones that I think sticks in my mind is I interviewed um, Bert Van Son, who is the founder of Mud Jeans, and they have set up basically you lease your jeans, which is a totally revolutionary concept. But you lease jeans. And then when they get brought back, they're recycling it. And, you know, they've had to develop new technologies and new ways of working. And for me, I just sit and think that's so cool because it's how do we make this whole function of fashionable jeans work like a living system? And, you know, they were doing some really cool things. And I think for me, what was um, awesome is hearing their story. When I'd interviewed Bert, they just got approved for the first bank loan because they were now starting to show that this could actually work as a proper financial model. And those are the stories that really excite me oh great great yeah well this is happening you see you know we have we are getting and and i mean there are there are some pioneering companies like uh patagonia or interface where we've got big stories of like wow those guys set a totally different intention or there came a point where they looked at the kind of you know, interface they um they saw the impact that they were having on the world and totally changed the business like it's doable it's do. Um, I also think what came to mind as you were speaking was we're, we're at an interesting point where a whole new generation of us, you know, and millennials and, and more, and, and are they just have, there's just a whole different level of not necessarily values but beliefs about what should happen next. Mm-hmm. It's like a lowest common denominator. Of course, we should realign with nature, or of course, we need to protect things differently. And I'm, I'm, I see it, for example, in in like family foundations, different to business, but not a million miles away in some ways, where a new generation is coming through, where they have responsibility for, you know, great amounts of assets or resources, um, and they're saying, we want to put this to good use. You know, this this has, this we have to move beyond maximization and the ideas that we spoke about in terms of progress earlier. Where are you going to shift this? And I think we're seeing, and hopefully we're going to see um, a big shift because of the volume and numbers and connections across entrepreneurs and innovators and intrapreneurs across the world that would just start to kind of really shift tipping points in lots of different ways. Um, So, yeah, I'm really hopeful. I mean, one of the things that I think you do with your work and and some of what we do with bioleadership is try to connect these stories up because going right back to what I said before, I think what we have is a global system that is greater than the sum of the parts. 
And in a way, that's why it's so out of control. I've spoken to people in finance about trying to change the financial system and very, very influential people, you know, have said, I don't, I don't have any control here. It's, it's, you know, it's just out of, it's just out of control. <laughs> it is out of control. So we need to create a web of more exciting alternatives and unleash them and they will connect and hopefully they will connect in a way that's greater than the sum of the parts um, and, and bring through a, a new way of doing things. Yeah, and I, I love it. And as you says, it starts by getting curious and asking those big questions, learning from the existing sustainable systems, of which I think the Earth's ecosystem is one of the best, and then having conversations with other people exactly like what we're doing just now. Exactly, exactly. So then, a bit of a change of a question here then, Andres. Who do you most admire and why? Mm, I knew you were going to ask me this, Tabby. And I, and I, <laughs> it's the one that bothers most people, surprisingly it's, enough. It's so interesting, isn't it? It's so Because I think there are different ways of thinking about it. Um, in my own kind of learning and, and uh, story, I've come across people like, you know, Joanna Macy, who, who maybe has come up, in some of these conversations, and also Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the Zen Buddhist monk. But the reason I mention them um, is because they, for me personally, they, they have brought together ideas of really savvy, smart systems thinking, you know, mm -hmm. seeing the world as relationships and connections with um, deeper ideas of what it is to be human. But also they found, like, acupuncture points in the world they found ways to sort of put the pin in the right place so that it kind of ripples out and and, and helps raise awareness or raise new conversations so i'm really interested and and they you know they combine this very peaceful very um just before we started the conversation tabby we were talking about taoism and yin and yang and and they i'm really inspired by where people have they carry the yin, the openness, the yielding qualities of making, helping something new emerge. And at the same time, they know how to be yang. They know how to sort of, okay, I'm going to put this into the world with this deliberate intention and this, and this strength. Um, so, so for me, people like Joanna Macy, Thich Nhat Hanh combine all of those qualities that they're, they're really inspiring. Um, and I, I also learn a lot from just my own mentors and teachers, not not necessarily because of what they say, but how they bring that to life. And I'm really interested in that. There's a, you know, there's a guy called John P. Milton, who's the person who I've done a lot of my training with to guide nature quests. And, and John, I suppose for, maybe for, for a lot of people who listen to your podcast, he's inspired people like Peter Senge with systems thinking and even ideas like theory you and you process have been informed by John's work with nature. But I've been with John, not when he's kind of teaching or guiding or facilitating, but when we're like traveling through train stations or really busy or first thing in the morning at six, you know, when we have to leave and go and be with a new group of people and it's keeping alive the things that he speaks of or the things that these sort of elders speak of, which might be deep listening or stillness or care. And they, they, they keep them alive in every part of their life. And of course they're still human and there's kind of like all shadow and anger and sadness and so on. But, but I learn a lot from people like that. I learn a lot from our elders that carry a different way of being and 
show that a lot of what we're talking about here isn't just words or ideas, but ways of being. Um, um, and then the last thought, well, I've gone on about this one, um, but the, the, the last thought when I was thinking about this question was, uh, I just we just ran a program up in the Lake District and one of the participants um, traveled from Oxford so he, but he cycled to the station, he got the train, and on the other side, he cycled from a station in the Lake District in like really heavy rain and made it to the site and he cycled all the way back home. And, you know, there are, and he's like, look, I'm going to live as close to a, a carbon neutral life as I can. And these are the things that I'm going to do. And he really sort of sets a benchmark and some of how he does it is very challenging for me, you know, um, and, but it's really inspiring. And there are so many people doing that every day all around that, that you can see these sparks of inspiration everywhere. Mm, yeah, no, I, I love that. That's, that's some serious commitment. I am not a bike person at all so I would I would struggle even though I know the the value of it but I, I am so amazed by people because I've heard some people saying how like you're saying they will get off bikes bus, um, the trains and then they will go on their bikes and cycle 10-15 miles to get to where they need to go and I am just in awe of this I'm like wow it's great I mean you know that that we have to be doing those things or we need to well, or rather the future the future that we're trying to create or the things that we're trying to bring through to the way are rooted in shifts in how we use energy in in food in um well i suppose that software ways education and so on there are people there are people lots of people who are saying right i'm going to sort of live that way now <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily have to be cycling but all, um all of these little things that i think little tiny micro movements are adding up to big things and it's so inspiring to see people who just stand by what they believe needs to happen Mm, definitely. So then moving on, I have another question for you and I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting your answer to this one. So what is your most favourite memory of a time or place in nature and why? <laughs> it's, um, well, I, I, I'm, I'm really lucky, I suppose. I get to spend a lot of time outdoors and a lot of my learning and a lot of my um, personal development and my work is, is in places that are really wild and grandiose and special. Um, um, and, and maybe this isn't, you're not going to like this answer, but, but what, that, <laughs> what that's brought me to is, we again, we were in the lakes just this past weekend and there was a moment where I jumped into cold water and had a swim in a lake. And that, that for me is as special as any wild place that I've been to. I mean, it's pretty wild pretty special place but and and um and there are things like you know if there are a few days of rain as we just had feeling the sun come out and noticing the warmth and the joy of feeling the heat and the light on your skin or you know that's so special and then the other one for me now is <clears throat> um going running and I'm not a very good runner at all I, like I, I used to play a lot of sport but long distance running I, I just can't really do I'm not, I don't know why I'm not built for it but what I do is come back to thinking wow my lungs are extraordinary how are they doing this my legs are so amazing my body is carrying me through this and all of those things are just feeling and being in nature and, and it's right here less than a millimeter away from my body you know 
Mm. I actually really appreciate your answer, <laughs> believe it or not, because one of the things that when we, we talk and we teach people in the nature process, it's very much how do you feel connected to nature no matter where you are. So even in a city and what you're saying is that you just have consistent experiences and they're these small things from jumping in a lake to, you know, watching the transition from the rain to the sun coming in or just even that whole experience of running. It's all these small little pleasures that are connecting you to nature, that those are the things that you really take stock of. Yeah, yeah. And and it's helped by bigger moments in wild places, you know. Um, um, I mean, I, I wish... Well, what I what I often find myself saying, if if just five percent of teenagers did something like our nature quests or other people's nature quests, you know, if if just five percent of MBAs, if just five percent of politicians spent a week in nature alone, deeply listening, I think it would make a radical shift in the world. So I definitely value and support and hope that more people can experience the kind of thing where you go high on a mountain or deep into a forest and be alone and listen in a caring way and in a supported way and and i'm very lucky i i've experienced moments like that and i've helped lots of people experience moments like that and that's only half the story because it's it's then about how do you take that home how do you keep it alive at home how do you take the qualities that come from that experience into everyday life and work. Um, uh, so it's kind of a constant dance, really. Um, but, um, yeah, it's why I still live in a city. And, and I lived in London for a long time because I, I never, I, I don't want what I do to be about escapism or going away or retreating away from. Um, I'd like it to be about how do we reconnect human systems with, with um, natural systems and cities for me is are really important they're, they're our human and natural system all in one wonderful wild urban sprawl mm. and i i like that because i mean what i'm hearing you say is that you know you're recognizing the value of being in the wilderness but also being in the cities and recognizing that that even that idea that we have of cities versus wilderness you know even that notion of separation can be dropped and we can actually find nature everywhere yeah, definitely, definitely. Starting with ourselves. It, it, the more and more, the more and more I do this, the more I do. I receive that it's about belief systems and working out with with ideas of right. We're part of something bigger here. So, all right. Well, when we engineer a car or a road or a street, let's do it from that place of connection and care. Definitely. So, then, what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today, then, Andres? Um. Yes, yeah, it's a nice question. Um. I think it would be to go out. And even, you know, in a garden or a park with friends and sit in a circle and make time to listen, to look at the stars, um, to light a fire if you can, to breathe, to enjoy the air and the sun, even the cold, um, and not to be scared of bringing in questions that might feel like they belong in an office or in a school or in a, you know, in a, indoors and take them outside um, it's so interesting that we've separated out what feels like work and purpose and meaning and keep it to office blocks or schools or urban environments or even around our own homes at, at the table. Really extraordinary alchemical things happen when we do that by going for a walk and 
sitting in a circle or under a tree and, and exploring it in a different way. And, um, and if more of us do that, the more very special kinds of creativity and innovation we'll see in the world. Mm, that's a, a beautiful um, takeaway from today. Thank you so much for joining me, Andres. Oh, Tabby, it's such a pleasure. Thanks so much for your series and, and what you're doing and, and uh, may it keep on growing. Yes, thank you. If listening to the show has inspired you to find out more about nature-centred business, go to www.earthself.org and click on the Nature Centred tab. And as always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please get in touch. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Tom Beach, Head of Communications and Marketing with BioBean. Founded in 2013 by Arthur Kay, BioBean is the first company in the world to industrialise the process of recycling waste coffee grounds into advanced biofuels and biochemicals. See you then. New episodes of Sustainable are released every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Get them sent straight to your inbox by signing up at www.earthself.org or come on over and join the conversation on our LinkedIn podcast page.